Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited about another episode of our podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Cody Hodges. He's currently a speaker for the organization Rachel's Challenge. You'll hear a lot about that in this conversation. He's the leader with the 806 Gathering. He's also a private quarterback coach. He played college football with his twin brother at Texas Tech. Also played some professional football as well. He's married, has three little girls. But more than that, more than anything, just an incredible man of faith, high character. I can't wait for you to hear from Cody, so let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Cody. Hey, you're welcome, man. It's great to be on. You bet. So I always like to start these with some background info. So if you don't mind, just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, um, where you grew up. Um, a little bit about your family growing up and your family today. Okay, yeah. Um, I grew up in Hereford, Texas, a little small cattle town up in the Texas Panhandle. Uh, my parents still live there. Um, so that'll always, I feel like, be home for me. Uh, but grew up there. I have a twin brother. I uh, have an older sister. Sports has always really been a big deal in our family. My dad uh, played college football at the University of Houston and then finished up at West Texas A&M and uh, that's where I met my mom. She was a cheerleader there. And so sports, um, athletics has just been something that's kind of been ingrained in our family since the beginning. Uh, my sister was a, 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 co- a collegiate volleyball player at Abilene Christian. And then uh, so growing up, yeah, it just kind of sports is what we did. Every family vacation centered around sports or a tournament or something like that. And uh, so it's been a huge part of my life throughout high school, then in college at Tech. And uh, now to fast forward all the way to currently, uh, I'm married. My wife and I, we have three daughters and uh, we live out in Rockwall, Texas. Awesome. So you, you talked a lot about your family growing up. Did you grow up um, in a family of faith? And then at what point did you make that decision to, you know, I need a personal relationship with Jesus? Um, yeah, definitely. We grew up um, in, a, in a family of faith. I would say, you know, growing up, my mom, um, was for sure the spiritual leader of our family. Um, it's just what we did. Uh, we went because mom said we were going to go, um, you know, and it's something that I wanted to do or we wanted to be there. Um, anytime the, the church doors were open, I mean, you were there. We were there on Sundays, Wednesday nights, whatever was going on, we were there. Uh, it was probably, you know, seventh, eighth grade on my timeline. I don't really remember, uh, but I do remember being at a, um, an FCA, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes game day at Lubbock. Tech was playing against AM and we went to the game and um, they, you know, had this gospel presentation and I'd heard the gospel before, but it was just something different about that day. Um, I just realized like, man, something was missing. Like this was, mm-hmm. like you said, like there was, it needed to be this personal choice. And um, so my brother and I being twins, we kind of did everything together. And that was a defining moment for us. And just that, man, we realized, all right, there's more to this than just showing up on Sunday or going to youth or going to you know, functions at the church, like this Jesus dude, like he wants more of me. He wants my heart. And so that was just the beginning of it. Um, made a decision, you know, in junior high and throughout high school and even college, it's been a, you know, it was, I don't want to say it was a struggle, but when you're an athlete, the world tells you that your identity um, is being the quarterback or your identity is in how well you play. Your identity is in how many touchdowns you throw. Mm. I would go to, then I would go to youth or I would go to our Bible studies or I'd go to church and um, knew that, that my identity wasn't that. So for me, that was really the, you know, the struggle or the, what I really wrestled with is like, what is my identity truly in? Um, and then, you know, the Lord through various things kind of helped me realize that man, my, my identity needs to be in him and him alone. And, um, and so, yeah, so that's just kind of, you know, an overview of my, my faith and where it started and where it is today. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk a little bit about that um, as we go. But I want to talk um, about your, your sports. I mean, you talked about growing up in the Texas panhandle, then you, you went on to play at tech with your brother. Um, you said that you did everything together to including, uh, playing college football. So talk about the recruiting process and ended up ending up at Texas tech. Um, how, why did you choose Texas tech? Yeah. Um, the recruiting process, you know, today is way different than it was when I was coming out of high school. I mean, I don't feel like I'm that old, but then when I really think about it, I mean, I've been out of high school 18 years. Um, you know, that's all pre-social media stuff. There's no, you didn't release your highlights weekly like kids do now on huddle. I mean, there was none of that. You just, you worked really hard, you won. And, you know, our coach always said, Hey, if you're good enough, they're going to find you. And, And the thing is, is we didn't really, we didn't really think about that. I mean, my dream was to 
really, my dream was never to be a college quarterback. I mean, that was never my dream. Uh, my dream was, it's funny, is I wanted to be a college basketball player. I mean, I wanted to play oh. basketball at Duke. That was my dream as a kid. I want to go to Duke and play basketball. And um, even going into high school, I had kind of made the decision that personally, I wanted to go straight basketball in high school. Um, that, that was like, I loved basketball. That's all I wanted to do. And our head football coach going into my freshman year, you know, convinced me. Um, you know, I played in junior high because everybody played in junior high, but he said, Hey, just play one year, play your freshman year of high school. And if you don't like it after that, then, you know, that's fine. Well, like three weeks into the season, I ended up being the starter on the varsity. And so, um, it just was from there, you know, I was the guy. And so, uh, the recruiting, I mean, I was thankful we played on some really good teams in high school, my junior year, we won a lot of football games. We, uh, we were kind of the first team, um, in the Texas panhandle to go to the spread offense uh, and we were throwing it you know, 40, 50 times a game in high school. And so I think that helped me. Um, we were successful. My brother was prior. I mean, for sure, our best receiver. And so anytime I, you know, threw it around him, he was going to catch it. So he made me look really good all the time. And then ended up in tech. Um, I didn't have a ton of offers. I mean, I had a few offers at some other places, but then uh, uh, Coach Leach, that was his second year um, there in Lubbock. And we're kind of doing the same things offensively and they offered. And I thought, you know what, that's that's a great fit. I already know the terminology. Uh, I'm familiar with this and it's a hundred miles from home. And so why not go there? And you, did you, you played with uh, Kingsbury? Is that right? I did. So I redshirted um, in the fall of 2001. Um, that was Kingsbury's junior year. And then the fall of 2002 was Kingsbury's senior year. The, the, then the 2003, uh, BJ Simmons was the starting quarterback. 2004, Sonny Cumbie was the starting quarterback. And then finally, in 2005, as a fifth-year senior, um, I finally got a chance to be the guy. So uh, it was. I learned a lot. I learned. I think I always tell people I learned more in those four years of sitting on the bench than I did in the one year playing. Wow! Yeah, I bet. And playing behind some pretty, um, pretty talented guys as well. Yeah, they were. They were all great. I mean, they all had incredible careers. Whether it was a couple of years, you know, the Cliff had or BJ and Sonny each only played one year. And um, you know, watching those guys have success, I thought, okay, if I have. If I ever get a chance to, to, to start, you know, I have confidence in myself, but also watching those guys have success. I thought, you know what? I can do this too. Yeah. And so, you know, every, I imagine everybody's dream, if you're playing college football is to go to the next level. So you go um, undrafted, but you sign with the Titans the same year. They had a, a top pick from the state of Texas, Vince Young. So what was it like going to training camp? with the Titans, you know, the same years a guy like Vince Young? Yeah, and, and yeah it was it, it, one. It was, um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Um, again, my dream, even as a little boy, was never to play in the NFL. So it wasn't like – I mean, to me, it was just everything was just icing on the cake. It's like, man, this isn't what I wanted to do growing up. This wasn't my dreams, but this is kind of what's unfolded. And, and so going to the Titans, I knew realistically um, going in um, – I mean, I'm confident in myself and I was confident back then, but realistically I knew, I mean, he was the third pick of the draft. They paid him close to $50 million. Um, I think I had to pay for my own flight to get there. Um, you know, <laughs> so I, uh, but I knew, um, I knew going in, it was going to be tough to make the team. Uh, my, my goal really um, was to try to make the practice squad. I felt like, man, if I can just make the practice squad, you know, just hang around and see what happens. Um, and then that year, just by a, a set of circumstances out of my control, um, you know, the starter has to be traded. Um, Steve McNair got moved out. You know, that was he was there before. Billy Bullock has to be traded. It ends up being me, Vince, and a guy named Matt Mock. Um, really, none of us with any experience, but they've invested all this money in the third pick. He got all the reps. Um, I played three plays in the preseason, got released. They brought Kerry Collins out of retirement, and they kept nobody on the practice squad that year in the quarterback's position. Um, so, you know, it was just kind of a, you know, not saying that if I would have stayed on the practice squad that it, I would have made it. Um, but a lot of that time, it's just luck. You got to be in the right place at the right time. It's chance. And then also if you fast forward now to the NFL, um, you know, I feel like my game, the way I played in 2005 was more current with today's game, um, throwing it, running around, having an athletic quarterback that can do stuff with his feet. Well, back then there was a knock on guys like me. It's like, Oh, those guys can't play at the next level. Exactly. Um, and now, the NFL switched and it's become more of a college game. So again, um, it, it, I think a lot of it's right place, right time. You got to have some good fortune, some good luck. Um, but man, I am, Hey, you know what? The Lord works. He's opened doors. Right. Um, and I am, you know, I wouldn't trade what he's done in my life the last 10 years for 
another chance to play. Uh, yeah, he's been so good to me, and it's all good. That's awesome. And then you played, you know, some some arena football. Um, I've seen a couple arena games live and very different um, from um, the normal college NFL games. So, t- I mean, talk about playing in in, uh, in arena football and, and just the, the adjustment to that. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was probably – I don't want to say it's the most fun I've ever had playing football, um, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, one, um, you know, it wasn't super stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and again, that was one of those things where – um, you know, after I got cut by the Titans, I, um, my agent, I went over to NFL Europe, NFL Europe was still going on. And, and so I go over there and, you know, we work out and we go through the training camp and all that and get ready for the season. And then that league folds, um, they're just out of money. So it's like, all right, pack your bags. You're going back to America. And I'm like, all right, you gotta be kidding me. So I come back to Lubbock and I'm still working out, hoping the phone will ring. Um, I go to Canada. I'm in Canada for like a week. Um, and then that falls through and I'm thinking, all right, what are we doing? And, uh, start working and go like, all right, I got to have a real job now. And then the arena yes. deal popped up, the arena deal popped up and I thought, you know what? Why not? Like I'm 24. Like, why not? We'll try to make this happen. Um, it was great. I loved it. It was fun. Um, I ended up getting three really bad concussions. Um, yeah. In the third one, um, I was out cold for about 12 minutes in Albany, New York and kind of woke up, um, true story in the back of an ambulance. I remember getting hit on the field, uh, before I hit the ground, I was out. And then I woke up when I remember coming to, I was in the back of an ambulance. My pads were still on. They had cut my face mask off um, at an oxygen kind of deal on my mouth. And I'm looking up at the ceiling of the ambulance and kind of thinking like, what in the heck am I doing? You know, and it was that moment where I felt like the Lord was like, Cody, I've got so, so I got something so much better for you. Um, like you're chasing wow. a stream. You're like, you're chasing a stream. One, that's not even your dream. You're chasing mm-hmm. this because you think that's what people want you to do. And man, just trust that I've got something so much better. And so I kind of had to piece about it on the way to the, <laughs> the hospital that night. Like, I'm done. Like, I'm never going to play again. I never did. I never did. And it's all good. That's crazy. I tell you, as a parent of uh, a sophomore in high school playing football, um, that's that's a scary story. <laughs> um, wow. But you're right. I mean, God God uses various things to to bring us you know, to, to his path. So what would you say is your greatest accomplishment or memory um, while playing football? Um, man, I think, I mean, I come if I go to high school first, I would say, you know, our, our, our team, my junior year of high school, we made it all the way to the state championship. Um, and, you know, we were just a little team. Um, you know, we get off the bus. We weren't going to intimidate anybody getting off the bus. Uh, but the thing is, is we all believed in each other. Um, and we played, you know, for one another. I mean, again, this is all pre-social media. So you're, nobody was out promoting themselves or, you know, nowadays guys will, they'll lose the game and they don't even care as long as they got their yards or they got their touchdowns. Right. Like, you know, we, I, I was lucky enough to play with guys that didn't care about that. So, mm. um, you know, and then growing up in a small town, you know, when the football team does well or any team does well, the whole team rallies behind it. And yeah. so my junior year, that was really cool. Um, to make it all the way to the state championship. And then my senior year, we actually made it to the state tournament in basketball. Um, so we got to experience that. So those were really two, I think, really cool accomplishments, achievements. Um, then I think going to college, personally, two of them. One, um, I mean, I think just sticking it out, waiting, mm-hmm. waiting four years. You know, I tore my, my, I tore my labrum in my right shoulder my freshman year at Tech. So I, had a, I was out for eight months and thinking that I may never wow. throw a football again. Uh, the next year, I broke my ankle. Um, so those first two years were really hard. Um, mm. rehab and nonstop. And there was a lot of times that people said, you know what? Hey, you're not going to play here. Um, you've been hurt. There's guys in front of you. You're sitting on the bench. Like why not either quit or go somewhere else? And, um, so I think personally just sticking through that and persevering and learning that, man, when you say you're going to do something, you're doing it. I gave my, my word to coach Leach and to that staff that I committed to Texas tech and whether I was going to play or not, like I'm in, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can. And so I think personally staying and then not quitting and not transferring and, you know, that was before, you know, now got nowadays people transfer four or five times, which hey, that's their choice. If they want to do that, it's fine. Um, but I think there is something to say about sticking it out and just working and just believing that eventually you're going to get your chance. And then the other big achievement, I think just watching my brother um, mm. being twins, like being twins, we're close. I mean, he walked on um, and, you know, a lot of times because I was the quarterback, I kind of got put in the spotlight, but man, he worked just as hard. Uh, my brother Slade, uh, I mean, he was a, 
a tremendous high school athlete. He had other opportunities to go to other schools and college and play, but uh, we wanted to stay together. So he wow. came to he came to Tech. He turned down scholarships at other places so he could walk on and come to Tech. And uh, man, he worked his tail off. And by the third year, he was on scholarship and played special teams. And then probably our senior year, he caught a touchdown pass against A and M. And and for me, that was like the best moment, just because man, he had worked just as hard. And the fact that he got in and got a chance to score and uh, it was just a special moment for him, but for us together and our family as well. That's huge. You know, and we, you know, your, your testimony of sticking it out is, is powerful because not just in sports, but yeah, especially the college level, we see guys that transfer portal, you know, just, it seems like it's every week in the off season, there's a, especially a quarterback, there's somebody transferring, but you know, just even in our culture alone, it's just easy. If things don't go our way, we quit and go to something else, you know? And, so I think your testimony of just sticking it out and through adversity is is huge um, and an encouragement, whether you're in sports or not. So um, what would you say, kind of flip that a little bit, maybe your your biggest, I don't want to use the word disappointment, biggest challenge you had, you faced while playing? Um, I think while playing, I think it goes along with the, the accomplishment is, is not giving up and not quitting. Um, you know, there were times that I, you know, I had self doubt or thought like, is this really worth it? You know, mm-hmm. because, you know, I went from being a, a four year varsity starter in high school in football and basketball, never sitting on the bench to really a four year bench warmer in college. Mm. You know, I, I didn't play at all that red shirt year. Obviously the next year I didn't play at all. Um, I think my third year there, I think I played six plays. And then my junior year as the backup quarterback, I think I only played nine plays that entire year. So you go from being, you know, quote unquote, the man for four years. And now you're essentially a nobody. Yeah. You, play, you play 15 plays and just kind of thinking like, is this worth it? You know? And so, I mean, that was probably the hardest part is just, you know, but I'm, I'm really thankful, you know, that my freshman year of college, when I tore my, my, my right shoulder up, um, I, I really do believe um, like the Lord used that. Um, I don't think he caused it. Some people are like, well, why would the Lord cause this to happen? I don't think he causes that. I don't think he caused that to happen. He allowed it um, mm-hmm. because he knew by allowing it, there would be something greater for me personally. Right. And, and so I remember that night coming back from um, having surgery on my shoulder and man, just kind of being the shell of a person, you know, um, I was a believer, but even in high school, it's like, Oh, well, you're, you're the quarterback. You're the point guard. You're throwing you know, like, you know, just struggling with like, what is my identity? Is it, is it what I do or is it who I am? Wow. And, and that night, I remember coming back from having surgery, and uh, I remember laying on the my dorm room floor, five hundred B one, five hundred one B Weymouth Hall, and just weeping, weeping mm-hmm. because I was like, "Man, Lord, like I need you. Like, I, I've I've been like this cheap imitation. Like, I haven't really been the real thing." And wow. um, you know, Ephesians five one just kind of jumped out at me, and yeah, um, just says, "Therefore, be imitators of Christ. Um, like, be the real thing." And I feel like there was times I was the real thing, but then there was also times when the world got really loud and told me how great I was, how good I was, all this stuff that like, I began to listen to that. And, you know, in relation to that first John two fifteen talks about, you know, do not love the world or the things in it for the love of the world is not in the love of the father. And so just like, we can chase our achievements. We can chase possessions, pride, lust, the eyes, but it's all empty. You know, we chase the world, our emptiness becomes emptier. And so I think I learned that that night in that dorm room, like, man, I've kind of chased the world. Even as a believer, I chased the world. And here I am. I'm shoulders torn up. I'm on a campus of 30,000 people. Nobody knows my name. And everything that I had kind of built my life upon the last couple of years athletically was all taken away in one throw. Wow. And now it's like, like, who are you? And I remember the Lord being like, just whispering to me that night, being like, Cody, like, man, you're like, you're complete me. Like, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Mm. I may not have all, I may not have all that I want, but I trust the Lord knows that if he gave me everything I want would probably not be good for me. You know, a loving right. father, you know, a loving father say no to their kids. And so it's like, he is all that I need. And, you know, that night is like, all right, Lord, if I ever play at tech or I never play at tech, like my identity is going to be in you. And um, so I was content really after that. Um, just that, man, Lord, I'm, my identity is you and I'm not going to, waver and i'm not gonna wonder i'm like I'm, I'm it's you and if i play great if i don't play then you know what my job is still to love you well that's good that's good stuff right there that's a great reminder especially again as a dad um you know my kids uh middle school and high school still don't don't like when we say no 
right? Um, I need this new iPhone, Dad. Need. Yeah. So you don't need anything like that. <laughs> you don't understand, Dad. So yeah. Uh, but you're right. I mean, if I gave them everything they wanted, it, yeah, it, it would not be good for them or me. So, me, you know, you talked about, you know, being a kind of a what it means to be an imitator of Christ. As a college and professional athlete, how do you stay connected to the church, especially your, your personal walk with Christ? Because the demands for your, your time, um, both being a student and an athlete, but also you talked about, you know, the world tells us that your identity is in what you do, you know, in your case, being a quarterback. So how did you stay connected to your walk with Christ in the church? Um, one, I think, you know, the, our, our Christian life, our Christian walk is not meant, it's not meant to be alone. Jesus never once called somebody and said, Hey, follow me. And, or like he said, follow me, like, come with me. Um, you know, it wasn't like one guy, like he just like, you make a decision and now you got to figure this out by yourself. Like community is a big deal. And so, um, at tech, those early years, there was a couple of other players, um, a little bit older than us, my brother and I on the team, um, that were believers. And, and every Monday, so we were together at practice and team meetings and all of that. But we, um, you know, we are like, we got to do, like, we can't just be like, if we're going to be around each other, then like, we need to talk about our faith too. And so every Monday night, Monday was our off day um, from football. And so every Monday night, there was five of us that had dinner every Monday night um, at this little remote, little kind of hole in the wall, kind of hard to get to sandwich shop in Lubbock. And so we would go there because um, it was never crowded. And then the five of us, would we would sit there and uh, we'd eat, but we'd talk about like, man, what's the Lord teaching you? What are you struggling with this week? Um, you know, I think in the church world, we, we use words like we've got to be accountable and we've got to be vulnerable. Um, well, it's one thing to say that it's actually another thing to actually do that. Boom. Um, yes, and the sir. only way, right. And the only way you can be vulnerable with people is if you, if you trust the people you're with and you actually know each other. I think a lot of times we, we don't know anybody like because of the phone, we feel like we're connected, but in reality, the phone has made us less connected mm. in real life than ever before. And so, you know, this idea of like, we would just circle up in that, that little sandwich shop and. It's like, man, I'm struggling with this. Or, I mean, I've been looking at things on the computer that I shouldn't be looking at. Or me, me my girlfriend and I are struggling being pure or whatever the case was. Like there was nothing off topic. There was nothing that you're going to be judged for. Because again, we're 18, 19, 20, 21 year old dudes playing college football, trying to do our best on the field, obviously, but then also trying to not be of the world because our identity is in Christ. And so it's like, man, we got to like, you got to have people around you. Um, we're all going to act like the people that we hang out with. Mm. Um, and it's just simple. And so that was, that was a huge part. I think just surrounding yourself with the right kind of people, but then also too, I think when it comes to our, our, our faith, um, like spiritual growth is a choice. Like at the end of the day, like it's a choice. Like I know if I want to be a starting quarterback at Texas tech, like I'm going to have to do X, Y, and Z to, to achieve that. Like I'm going to have to work really hard and I'm going to have to lift and I'm going to have to do all these things and watch film Okay. And if I do those things, like I'm probably going to get the results I want. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to Christ. Like if my job, if my, if I'm called to be an imitator, the only way I imitate Christ is if I spend time with Christ. That's it. Like, I'm not going to, you know, like I don't muster up patience on my own. I don't muster up self-control on my own. Like self-control comes from the Holy spirit in a, in a relationship with Christ. So I think it's both. It's, it's be surrounding yourself with people that are going to keep you accountable, that are going to love you, um, but that you can be vulnerable with as well and say, hey, like, I need help here. I'm struggling. But then also, too, um, you, I don't know. I need to be responsible for my faith. Um, I think so many times high school kids or even it's like their faith in high school is their parents' faith. Mm. It's like, oh, I've got my mom and dad's faith. And it's like, well, when you go to college, your mom's not going to be sitting there on Sunday morning. Like, That's right. Like your, faith, like, your faith has to be your faith. And you know, my wife, Christy, we've been married 10 years. Like her, her walk is her walk. My walk's my walk. Yeah. Together we have a, a unified walk, but again, um, she has to have her own relationship with the Lord. And, and I do as well. Like we can't just be responsible for another one, you know? That's right. So, so I think it's that, I know that's a long answer, but I think it's both. You got to be surrounded by the right people, but then also making the choice to say, Lord, okay. Like if you are truly my identity and my heart belongs to you, then I'm going to choose to get up and spend time with you and I'm going to seek you, right? Because you're very clear. When I seek you, I find you. When I knock, you answer, you know? It's not like we seek him and he's lost. 
You know, like he's not out there, like he's there right there. If we would just choose, you know? Yeah. No, that's good stuff. Very good. I mean, just a, just a good reminder that, you know, even for me, just to make sure that the people that I'm close and closely surrounded with that, um, we are truly connected and accountable and vulnerable. We're not just like you said, just chit chatting, you know, our spiritual walk is the foundation of, of, of who we are in our relationship. Right. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. Um, post athletics, you are a speaker for an organization called Rachel's challenge. Some listeners have probably heard of it, but Tell us about the organization and kind of its purpose. And then second, how did you get connected with it? Yeah. So Rachel's challenge is a, a school program, um, a school assembly program. It came out of the Columbine school shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the call, the, you know, the Columbine school shooting wasn't the first school shooting ever in our country, but it was kind of the first mass school shooting mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that's kind of what everybody refers back to. It happened on April the 20th, 1999. Um, there were 12 students and one teacher that lost their life that day. The first person um, who was shot and killed was a young girl named Rachel Scott. Um, I remember, I remember being in high school. I was a sophomore in high school when Columbine happened. And, and so I remember it taking place. And then in Herbert high school, we started wearing name tags. All of a sudden you had to wear your ID badge every day. And it's like, we're doing this because of Columbine. And so that's all we ever really heard of it. And then fast forward four years later, um, I was a sophomore my second year at tech, uh, Daryl Scott, Rachel's father, um, was actually speaking in Hereford at one of the churches. Um, a youth pastor there in town asked my brother and I uh, to come home for the weekend. He said, hey, will you guys come home this weekend and um, help out? We're doing Disciple Now. You know, high school kids are going to be staying in host homes. We'd love for you you guys to be in charge of the senior high boys. Just come home, spend the weekend with the senior high boys. And um, it was during, you know, the winter. So we came home and uh, he spoke that night and shared his daughter's story. And man, that story... Um, man, it was one, a story that really changed my life because I was still, um, this is a year removed from having shoulder surgery, but here he talked about his daughter and how she lived and what she stood for. And, um, even to the point of death, she, she never wanted to announce her faith. She never, she was committed the whole time. And so to me, it just really, it challenged me like, man, are you again, going to be the real thing? Like, are you the real thing? Um, even in the face of this, like Rachel was, are you still going to stand firm in your convictions? And so, uh, for me, it was just kind of another wake up call. Um, and then fast forward, um, four years later, I'm done playing football. That youth pastor had now gone to work for the organization. Um, I'm kind of, at, I'm kind of at this crossroads. Like, what am I going to do now? Am I, I thought I would teach. I thought I would coach. Uh, but man, I was so burned out. Um, I was coming off the concussions. I spent the entire summer of like, yeah, 2007, kind of all of July in Hereford because my head was so messed up and, he said, why don't you move to Colorado and come speak for us? And I thought, wow. you know what? It would be cool. Like, I mean, I don't know anybody there. This would be a fresh start for me. I don't have to be Cody Hodges, the quarterback. I just get to go and be. And um, I thought I would do it for maybe a year or two. Um, and starting this January, it'll be year 14 um, that I've wow. been with the, Yeah, that I've been with the organization. So um, kind of feel like, I, like, again, the Lord opened some doors. And, um, man, it's an, incredible, it's an incredible organization. I'm honored to, to speak for them and to share – Rachel's story, um, a simple story, um, really. Um, yeah, she definitely was a believer, uh, but we don't, we don't focus on that because, you know, we're in public schools and I understand that. The thing is, is Rachel, who she was is, I mean, she was kind to people. She was compassionate. She reached out to kids. She stood up for kids. And because of that, the impact that she had was huge. So when she died, you know, thousands of people showed up to her funeral. The family receives letters and phone calls from friends, classmates, parents, teachers, peers, strangers about the impact that this one girl had on them. And so it's just that idea that we all have a story. And so for now, we, we, we tell Rachel's story, but then we challenge students. Okay. Like you have a story. Like when you graduate from high school here, like you're going to have a story. Your story doesn't start when you turn 45. Your story doesn't start someday when you die. Like your story, my story, we are writing our stories every day from our choices and our actions. And we're all going to be remembered for something. And nobody's going to remember you, how many points you scored or how many touchdown passes you threw. But in reality, people are going to remember how you made them feel about themselves, the Mm. way you treated, the way you treated them and the things you said about them. So like, why not choose to write a story that you're going to be proud of someday? And so, and Jess, that's kind of what we do. Um, um, And yeah, it's, it's an incredible students respond like crazy. 
Um, Because I think there's a lot of messages out there that are telling our students in middle school and high school all the things not to do. It's Mm. like, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Like, we're just telling them all the time, don't do that. Well, let's be honest. As people, we're going to do what we want to do. Whether we're my six-year-old or at 36, somebody tells me what not to do. I'm like, no, my flesh says I'm going to do what I want to do. And so I think we're approaching, you know, in schools the wrong way with all these, like, this is a no bully zone. We're not going to do that. Like what it like just because you put a poster up that says no bully zone, that doesn't change anybody's heart. Mm. Like it doesn't change anybody's heart. And so we're trying to get to the heart of it because if we can get to the heart, the behavior is a byproduct of somebody's heart being changed. That's right. But what we, but what we try to do, whether it's in parenting and I'm guilty of this, whether it's in parenting, education with student, with whatever, like we try to modify behavior and we wonder why behavior doesn't change. Well, the behavior doesn't change because the heart doesn't change, right? I mean, bad roots produce bad fruit. Mm. And, and, and the behavior, right? The behavior is the fruit. And all we see is the fruit. And then we just try to fix it. Like, well, just do this. Don't do that. Well, the thing is, is my, my daughter's behaviors, their lack of obedience or whatever, or, or their obedience is only a byproduct of their heart being well and their heart being changed. And, and so... So for that's what we're trying to do is just change students' hearts and be like, hey, like, like there is hope. I mean, I think so many of our kids feel hopeless. And so they make a mistake and then they sit still because I made one mistake and the world says, okay, now you screwed up because we live in cancel culture where as soon as somebody makes a mistake, we're just going to cancel everybody. Boycott this, boycott that. Let's cancel that person where there's no grace. I mean, imagine being a kid today where everything you do can be recorded or tweeted about. Ooh. Like, you know, like there's just the pressure of like, if I screw up, like I'm doomed. Um, but the thing is, is like, you're not like you can, you can recover. And so we're trying to just give hope to students and say, man, you got a story. Your story is powerful. Rachel Scott's story was powerful. It doesn't matter how Rachel died in reality. Like it doesn't matter what happened. Yes. It was sad. It was tragic. We still have these events taking place in our country now, but to not be callous, it's like how Rachel died does not matter. How Rachel lived is what matters. And so for you and me, like, you know, Rachel's dad always says, you know, there's, we all have two dates, the day we are born and then the date we die. Um, and that date's going to come eventually for all of us. And when that date comes, there's going to be a space, right? There's going to be a space between those two dates and that space is going to tell your story. And so it's like, what do you want that story to be? Man, you were hitting in my heart there, especially, you know, I, I know I, it seems like with good intentions, I'm always as a dad saying those things, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, stop, stop, no. You know, in reality, you're right. It's it's about changing the heart. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of times you hear that in church as well. You know, when children's in student ministry, it's, hey, you know, watch out for this, don't do this, you can't do that. You know, instead of real, truly um, trying to, to get them to get that heart change then produces the love, the kindness, and um, will stop the bullying, stop the other. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What you're saying. I mean, I don't, you said we were just going to kind of go where this led. So I I think about youth ministry a lot of the time. It's like, we're telling kids like, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. The Lord says, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have. And like, it gets ingrained in them and then they get married. And then it's like, okay, now have sex. Like, well, you've made this thing so bad for so long. And all of a sudden, because I'm married, now it's supposed to be a good thing. And we don't even realize like the mental like trauma that we're creating. Like, mm. yes, like the Lord is very specific, but it's saying like, I don't know, I, I view it like this way. Like you can have one, like, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I do a deal called The Gathering that I think we're going to talk about maybe in a little bit. Um, this student ministry. And we, we did, we talked about this, that like the world would say, just do whatever makes you happy. The world's going to say, just hook up with whoever, right? Um like just, it's fine. It's your body. Like just do whatever the, 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 the Lord is very clear. Like, like this is not what's best for you, right? Just because you find support for something doesn't mean it's right. Just because everybody's really loud and saying, go do it. Then that doesn't mean it's right either. Right? Like narrow is the path that leads to life. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Well, what happens is the enemy kind of dangles like this donut out there. And he says, Hey, you want this donut? Like you can have this donut right now. Like eat it, like eat it. But the Lord's saying like, Hey, if you will say no to this donut, I'm going to give you dozens of donuts in marriage, you know, but what happened, like, yes, he does say no, but it's because there's something better on the other side. Like there's a better reward. And so I think we have to be 
I don't know, like we have to be careful how we approach things with students because if we're constantly saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that out of like rules and we paint the father as this angry God, he's not angry. Right. Like he's a, he's a God full of love, full of compassion. He says no because he knows he's got something so much better for us. But if we paint him like he's angry, then it's like, well, no, because then we project that onto our earthly father that tells us no all the time. And we're like, yeah, screw you. I'm going to do what I want to do. And it doesn't ever lead to life. You know, the great thing about the Lord and Jesus and their promises and their commands is they always lead to life. Like they're not going to lead to death, you know, which is the great thing. So like, let's, let's approach it that way. Like, let's say no now. So you got something better later on because you're going to bring all that baggage into marriage someday. So you might as well try to avoid it. Yeah, that's good. And not, not only, you know, that angle, but also, you know, when you continually say no, 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 it's like a child. Excuse me. If you say don't touch something, they're going to do it. Right. You know, if we're constantly saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Well, eventually, especially students are going to get tired of hearing no and just do it. Right. And so, yeah, again, it goes to the heart because if my heart changes and I realize why, why the, why the response is no, or why the Lord's saying like, Hey, just wait for this. If my heart changes, then I completely get that. And now my identity's changed because now I'm not like, now I trust the Lord knows what's best for me. But if my heart doesn't change, and I'm sinful or, you know, dead essentially. Right. And there's no new life in me. Um, I'm going to chase the world. Right. Because there is, we are born, right. Ephesians two, right. We were in the mud face down. We were all dead, right. Not just a few of us. Like we were all dead. And it was like, I think Ephesians two, four says, but it was like the Lord's loving kindness that like essentially like turned us over and breathed life into us. Mm -hmm. Right. My life in Christ is not a new version like my life in Christ is not a better version of my old self. That's not what being a, like following Christ. I'm not some better version of my old self. I'm a new version of my dead self, mm. you know? And so it's like, when I die to myself and my heart changes, then I don't need to chase the world because now I got something greater living in me and I trust that he knows what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. You talked a lot about student ministry. So um, you're also a, a leader and a student I guess worship organization was founded in, in, in the Panhandle called the the 806 Gathering. So talk yes, about that and it's you know kind of the purpose behind it. Yeah, so it started. We're about to start year three. September the 9th will be our our third, starting our third year. Um, so during the school year, uh, you know, I speak full time for Rachel's Challenge, but when school's out in the summer, um, I kind of have the summers off, and so I do various things, whether that's quarterback camps or. I speak at church camps. So two years ago, uh, 2016, I spoke at a church camp um, in, in the panhandle. And a lot of these students, I had already been in their school for work. And so it's like I got to meet them again. And then the next year, I came back in 2017 to the same church camp. And so now I've spent essentially the last two summers with these kids. And man, I just the Lord put this burden on my heart. Um, like I just I, I knew these kids. I knew their stories, the things they confided in. You spend you spend seven days with the same kids at a church camp two years in a row um, through worship and activities and games and then teaching and preaching at night. Like you get to know them and um, sitting again, sitting with them. We talk about like talking with people, you know, that year, that first year, we just made a point, my wife and I like, okay, we have our own little cabin and yeah, it's important for us to pull away and refresh and reach like kind of, you know, rest. But when there's lunch going on, like we need to be in the cafeteria with these kids. When dinner's going on, I need to be in the cafeteria with the kids. Because again, if I just show up at night to teach and they haven't seen me all day, then they're not going to believe what I'm saying because I haven't invested in them at all. Mm. You know, I think that's why, I think that's why people don't listen to what somebody says is because they're not, they're not like, they know they're not invested. They're not invested. It's like, you're just telling me what to do, but you know nothing about me. And so all that to say is that second year after camp, I just had this huge burden for these kids. Like, man, I got to, I don't, I, I, I do like genuinely love them. A lot of them are coming, you know, from small towns in the Texas Panhandle, Groover, Spearman, Wellington, Turkey, Kittyquay, you know, all these little towns where there's not a ton of youth pastors mm. because you know, we're looking at a, a town of 1500 people, 2000 people. Um, and it's like, where does discipleship come into play? You know, yeah, the churches are trying to do as much as they can, but if there's not a, if there's not a youth pastor, um, then like who's really pouring into them on a weekly basis. And so for us, it just was like the Lord's like, Cody, I want you to go. Um, I mean, I had a dream about it for like five days straight. 
Um, wow. Yeah. Okay. So we so we ended up going, and I mean, I didn't know if anybody was going to show up. I, I believe the Lord spoke, and I believe I heard His voice, and I heard what He was telling me to do, and just said go. And um, so we do. So that first time it was September the ninth, uh, two thousand sixteen. We we show up. We put it out on Twitter and Instagram and kind of blasted it out throughout the Texas Panhandle. Um, and that first night, um, there was about 115 high school kids that showed up, um, which I was, I mean, I didn't know if anybody was going to show up. A lot of the places I go, people bring me in to speak. It's not my job to get kids there. I just show up to speak. So, um, you know, the fact that it was not really my job to get kids there, but we were putting it out there. We had no idea who would show up, but man, they showed up. There was about 12 towns represented. Um, and it's just students that are hungry for a deeper walk. We're not trying to take away from the local youth group. Um, we tell them every night we meet every time we meet. And I say, man, if you live in Dalhart, man, you need to be plugged in in Dalhart. If you live in Hereford, be plugged in in Hereford. Like mm. the, the gathering, like this is not your youth group. I'm not your youth pastor. This is simply once a month, a chance for you all to come together from across the panhandle, um, and just worship together. Um, I think so many times our students, um, they, they, they think they're the only ones a lot of times, like, well, I'm the only believer at my high school. I'm the only believer, which is not true. Right. Um, you know, we see that in first Kings, Elijah was like, I'm the only one left. And the Lord's like, no, you're not. There's 7,000 other people that are still following Maybe because we feel something, we automatically think it's real. And so that's what we're trying to tell students is just because you feel something doesn't mean it's real. Just because you think something doesn't make it true. Like you're not the only believer. Like you just like you're here tonight, surrounded by 130 other high school kids. I mean, our one in July, yeah, I guess even last month in August. I mean, there were students from 16 different Panhandle towns there. Wow. I mean, they're coming from all over. So it's like, look, like you're not alone. Like you may feel alone at Gruber High School, but 10 miles down the road in Stratford, there's eight other people that are following the Lord. You know, so like you're not alone. And so what's been cool to me is we're just. Uh, man, just challenging students to live out their faith. Again, spiritual growth is a choice. Like if you're 16 and you're a believer, like you've got the same Holy Spirit in you that I got in me. And my six-year-old that is believed, and I know she's believed and, and Christ is her savior. Like she's got the same Holy Spirit inside of her. It's like, you don't get the miniature version of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think it's in Romans six where it talks about like the same power that rose Christ from the grave lives in us. Like it lives in every one of us as believers. Um, yeah, there's, sanctification and the older we get and the more mature we get and we grow and all of that. But we all have the same power, the same authority has been given to all of us that are in Christ. That's good stuff. I'm writing that down. <laughs> I like that about, you know, no matter your age, it's the same Holy spirit. That's good stuff. So I got to ask you this. So, you know, with Rachel's challenge, the 806 gathering, you mentioned quarterback camps and doing some coaching. You have your married three daughters. How do you balance the demands of all that with being a husband and a dad? Um, I, there's times I don't do it well at all. Um, mm -hmm. I think I've, I've been better. Um, that's just one of the things because, you know, I think my, my first ministry by my first, my most important ministry is my family, um, mm -hmm. is my wife, um, and my daughters. Um, unfortunately so many times in ministry in the church, um, you know, the church may thrive and, and the Lord's doing some incredible things in the church, but then the pastor's family struggles mm. and, kids are neglected. And I've seen that. Um, I've been around a lot of my friends. A lot of my friends are in ministry. Um, the people that I, you know, like my core group of people are, are pastors in ministry, whether that's worship pastors, youth pastors, senior pastors, um, and through some of their stories, but then also some of the stories of people on their staff, um, just kind of seeing it time and time again, that we usually neglect our home first. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think, so for me, just learning from by watching other people, like, man, I don't want to, if, if our family suffers, if Christy, if our marriage struggles because of this, then I will stop doing it. Um, uh, and so I think the Lord, you know, um, I don't know. I think for me, I've just prayed like, Lord, give me, like, give me wisdom, almost kind of like Solomon prayed, like, Lord, just give me wisdom. Like, give me wisdom to understand what you want me to do. Not like, Lord, I pray for more students to show up. Yeah. I would love for more yeah. students to show up, but like, Lord, I just want wisdom and, and I want to understand you and I want to be better. Like, because again, like my first job is to point Christy, my wife, to her savior. I mean, that's my job. Yeah, she's responsible her for her own faith, but the Lord is very specific on what I'm supposed to do as a husband, first and foremost. And so just taking that serious, like, you know, I think sometimes when it comes to like, I'm getting on a tangent here, spiritual growth, 
I don't think it's because of a lack of faith. I think it's because believers are disobedient to what Jesus has said to do. Ooh. Right. It's not because I don't have faith. I have faith, but I think I don't, people don't grow because they don't do what Jesus tells them to do. It's like, it's very, it's very clear. Like love your wife, like Christ loved the church. But then sometimes we're like, Oh, did he really say that? Yeah. He really said like, yes, like that's what you're supposed to do. And so, um, and so I think for me, the great thing about, you know, with my job, my Rachel challenge job, I travel a lot for them, but when I come home, I get to be fully home. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't have office hours. I don't have to do paperwork. Like my job for them is my job is to strictly deliver our programs. And so when I get, when I'm home, I'm fully home. Um, just like today, I'm not speaking anywhere. So, um, I mean, I took our oldest to school. Uh, my wife's out doing some stuff right now. So the younger two, I'm home with them all day. We'll pick our oldest up from kindergarten. We've got soccer, you know, we got soccer games tomorrow. So that's the beauty of it. When I'm home, I'm fully home. Um, what I try to do, I think, and early on, I didn't do a very good job of this. I use my time um, on the plane to make sure that I am filled up before I ever step foot back in my house. Mm. Because you get on a like you get on a plane and you know you can check out whether it's an hour flight or a four hour flight depending on where I'm going. And I can get on my phone and watch a movie. I can watch a show. I can look at Twitter. I can do all of that, which it's not a bad thing, but if that's all I do all week long and then I show up at the end of the week and I've been gone three or four days and I haven't filled myself up, um, then I have nothing to give when I walk in. Like I can't impart what I don't possess. Well, that's good stuff. So for me, I just try to make sure on the plane, like even I flew home yesterday morning, man, it was an early flight, but man, I used that 45 minute flight to spend time with the Lord and listen to a podcast on the drive from Dallas love to Rockwall. And so it's like, okay, like, one, I want to, like, I want to grow deeper in my walk with the Lord. Um, but I know if I filled myself up and I've spent time with the Lord, man, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to be a better friend. Like, I'm going to be better because I'm not going to be, I don't want to say, like, I'm going to be better because of who Christ is in me. And so, um, so for me, that's just try to juggle on that. Um, we always check our schedules. Um, last week, two weeks ago, I think I spoke at a church in Lubbock. Um, I filled in for a pastor and um, I had actually been gone the week prior, but I was connecting through Dallas. So Christy and the girls actually met me at Love Field. They got in the plane. We flew into Lubbock. We were there for 24 hours. We flew back the next day. Um, I had to go on to somewhere else to speak again. They got out, came home and I went on, but it's just, we just made it work. It's like, Hey, I'm connecting through Dallas. Why don't y'all guys jump in? And the way I look at it, I mean, um, home to me is not defined by our physical address here in Rockwall. Mm. Like home for me is when my wife and our, my girls, like when we're together, um, like we don't need to be sitting at home, you know, on the couch to be together. Like we can be on a plane and, and carve out that time just to still pour into each other. And, and what better way I think to, for our girls to, I think one to hear about Christ, but also to, to see Christ is to travel with their parents and watching their parents tell other people about Jesus. Ooh, that's um, good. And so it's like, they, they're like, they're along for the ride. Like they get to come and they get to be a part of it and everything we do, they're there. And so, um, a lot of times I think when it comes to parenting, one of my buddies, a guy named Jeff Jacobs, uh, coaches out in Sunnyvale, he always says more is caught than taught. And I think so many times we like, we want to teach, 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 teach. But in reality, like my kids are going to believe, like they're going to, they're going to, they're going to watch my actions. They're going to watch the way I speak to their mom. Like they're going to catch more by simply watching me than anything that I ever teach them. And so when it comes, comes times for me to maybe teach them about the Lord, well, the thing is, if my actions don't match up with what I'm teaching, they're not going to believe what, I, what I'm teaching, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I have Sorry. to remind myself of that often, um, <laughs> especially as a dad. You know, that they're watching and listening all the time, not necessarily listening when I'm trying to teach them something, but they're listening with how I interact with um, my wife, one of their siblings or a friend or a coworker. Um, yeah. Those, those interactions yeah. are important. Yeah. And Chris and I, we just, we try to do a good job. I and mean, there's weeks where it's hard, but, and we try to at least like one night a week, at least go get dinner, just the two of us. Um, you know, her family lives here in Rockwall. And so we've got plenty of help and we've got great friends. And if it's even like just going to dinner for an hour by ourselves, um, it's like, we've got to do that. Um, but kind of our rule in our house, um, the joke is, is uh, our friends laugh, but we, we say we don't parent after eight o'clock. 
It's like, we're done parenting at eight o'clock. Our kids, like they're in bed, like they may not be asleep, but it's like, you're in your room. I mean, the baby's for sure asleep at eight, but it's like the big girls, it's like, okay, you guys can read for a little bit. And then when you get tired, turn off your light. But once it's eight o'clock, like you're in your room. Um, this is our time for mom and I just to be together. Um, and we just try to make sure that before we ever turn the TV on and just veg out on the couch and watch off the office reruns, you know, every night, yeah. you know, which, which is great. I love the office, but it's like, is that going to bring us closer together? So it's like, before we ever turn the TV on and just kind of decompress and veg out, it's like, let's connect. Like, Chris, I need to hear your heart. Like, how are you? Like, what are you struggling with? And it's the same thing for me. Like, we just have this routine. It's like, let's chat. Like if there's something on your heart, then let's like, let's talk about this. Um, yeah. and before, because, you know, and we've been guilty of it in the past with so many couples, I think they just get so, they're just so tired by the end of the day. It's just like, we just get in bed or we drink something or we watch something, we get some more food and we just sit there and it's like, we may be sitting side by side on the couch, but we might as well be a thousand miles apart from each other because we're not connecting actually. Um, and so it's just saying like, man, Chris, like you're, man, you're at home by yourself when I'm gone with three girls, like it's tough. Like, I don't know how you do it. And sometimes I just need to tell her that, like, she needs to hear me say like, I don't know how you do this. Like you're a stud, you know? Um, and just making a point that we make time for each other. So, and whether that's that's dinner, yeah. Whether that's dinner or even on a walk or whatever it is, like, I don't know, just, I don't know. That's good because it's it is easy just to uh, sit on the couch and turn on the TV and grab a bag of snacks and just kind of coexist. Right. Yeah. And we weren't. Yeah. And we weren't meant to. I mean, you you say that and it triggers this thought. Like in marriage, we weren't meant to coexist. Like this is a gift from the Lord. Like, and Mm -hmm. our marriage is supposed to be worshipful and it's supposed to bring the Lord glory and, and and to give Him honor. That's what our marriage is supposed to do. And but then also even in our, in our walks as believers, like we're not meant to just coexist with the Lord. Like we're meant to thrive with the Lord. But I do, I think a lot of times because of the rat race, we live in the Metroplex. There's just busy, busy, busy. We do 50,000 things a week. And we wonder why we don't hear the Lord's voice. Well, it's like, you're not gonna hear the Lord's voice if you didn't open up your Bible all week. Yeah. Like the Lord can speak in other ways, but again, like that Bible has zero power if it sits on your desk unopened. Um, and so it's like, I'm not meant to coexist. Uh, Psalm 23 is, um, I, I don't want to say our favorite Psalm, but it's kind of become our, our family Psalm because Christy, when she would, when our girls were young and she would nurse them to sleep and feed them before bed and then put them down, she would say Psalm 23 over them every night. Um, and, and, and what's cool now is our six year old and our middle child will be fourth into the month. Well, they both known, I mean, our six year old knew like she had the whole Psalm 23 memorized when she was before she was three. Um, and our three-year-old now knows it. And the thing is, is like, again, going back to like, what are we going to pull from? Like out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so just that idea of like, I want my daughter, even at kindergarten today, if somebody's mean to her, she can sit there quietly and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside peaceful streams. But there's a part in that, that Psalm right? There's two parts. It says, I, even when I walk through the valley, I will not be afraid. Um, see, the thing is, as believers, like the valley is not meant to be our home. And I think so many times as believers, we get caught in the valley. We, there's a loss of a loved one. There's a tragedy. We lose a job. Somebody gets sick. We go through a valley. And unfortunately for so many believers, they stay in the valley the rest of their life. Like we pitch a tent and we make the valley our home. And, and, and the thing is, is like the valley's not our home. It's like the Psalm says, even when I walk, like move forward. Like when I walk through the valley, I will not be afraid. Um, you know, I think the reason sometimes we, we, we sit in the valley is because we're hopeless. And for a believer to say they're hopeless, then I would question if they're a believer or not. Or not. Because if I'm a believer and I know my life's in Christ, then I'm never hopeless. The situation may be, seem hopeless in the world's eyes, but in Christ, it's never hopeless. And so I, me, I just think hopeless people sit still. Hopeful people move forward. Ooh. And in Christ, it's like I, I get to walk. If I can't walk, then crawl. If you can't crawl, roll. Like just get going forward. Like quit sitting there. Um, and then that psalm ends with, um, surely your goodness and unfailing love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like that's where I get to live. 
I get to make my home. I get to dwell in the presence of the Lord. And I think sometimes we flip-flop that. We dwell in the valley and we just kind of casually walk in and out, coexist in this relationship with the Lord. And it's not meant to do that. Like we're meant to dwell and live and thrive in the presence of the Lord. Um, I like that analogy of coexisting in marriage is the same thing as we're not, you know, we're not meant to coexist in our marriage. It's like we're not meant to coexist in our relationship with Christ because it's so easy to make excuses of, I live in the Metroplex where it's busy. Um, I've got three kids. They're not in a ton of activities, but enough to keep us busy. Um, And I do this, this, and this at church. And then to your point, it's easy to then fall in the trap of, well, I'm tired. So the first thing I put aside is my Bible. No doubt. Uh, yeah. We're not gonna, we're not, yeah. We're not going to cancel. I mean, my kids are, we're not playing, you know, select baseball or like the people aren't going to cancel travel baseball on Sunday. They're going to cancel going to church. That's right. And again, I mean, not saying I'm not being legalistic at all, but again, like we wonder why we're not close to the Lord and it feels like we're coexisting because we spend zero time actual with him. Um, so, so yeah, it's tough. You got to balance it. But it's like, again, if he's enough then he's enough, like Jesus plus anything else is not the gospel. Like he's enough, like he's enough. And when I did like, I don't know, we talked about identity at the beginning, like my identity in the world's eyes has changed. I mean, I'm a, I'm a son, I'm a twin brother. I'm a brother. You know, I was a quarterback. I was the point guard. Uh, I'm a friend. I became a, a boyfriend, a fiance, then a husband. Now I'm a father. Someday I may become a grandfather. Like my identity in the world's eyes is always going to change. The label that gets put on me is always going to change. But the one thing that the one place my identity is not going to change is in Christ. Mm. Right? There's a difference between being, you know, a Christian and being in Christ. Right? The word Christian, I think I could be wrong. I think it's only used two times in the entire New Testament. That's it. Just two times. The words in Christ are used 160 times. Mm. Like, there's something different, right? It's like, oh, I'm a Christian. Well, yeah, I'm also a dog lover too. Like, you know, we just throw out these labels or whatever it is. And yeah, for sure, I'm a Christian. But in Christ, right? There's like 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Those of you that are in Christ are a new creation. Romans 8, nothing can separate us from God's love for those that are in Christ, right? There is no condemnation, right? For those that are in Christ. Like there's a difference there. And so when my identity is in Christ, like that's permanent, right? Like he's not going to change. Like he's the same. And I don't know, like why not rest in that? Um, so I don't know. That's just kind of where my, you know, our cup's going to get filled by something. I'd rather get filled by the eternal God who gives more and more and whose cup overflows instead of the world's cup who just takes away. That's right. You know, I was talking to uh, a previous guest Coach Melson from Mansfield. Oh, man, he's a great, he's a great dude. Yeah, he was talking about, you know, the importance of spending time with Jesus, spending time in the Word. You know, he was talking about just the number of people that go, said they, they prayed every day. He goes, yeah, but that's, that's me talking to God. Right. I'm not in the Word. I'm not listening. Right, right. I'm just doing all the talking, but I'm not listening at all. And so that's just really... That analogy just stuck with me and, and encouraged me because, you know, there are times when, you know, I just get lazy on a morning and go, uh, I'm, let me rush out the door. Let me go do this or um, versus just taking that time to open the Bible, and allow God to speak to me. Right. I'm not going to be a good husband. I'm not going to be a good dad if I'm not filled up. You right. know, that stuff is from the overflow of my relationship with Christ. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. And we try and we try to, you know, grit our teeth, strap our boots up a little tighter, grip, clench our fists and say, I'm going to do this. And it's like, yeah, you may be able to do it for a few days in your own strength. But last time I checked, every one of our strengths going to fail us at some point. Um, and so um, I heard something one time. It's like either we can try harder or we can trust more. Mm. And the thing is, like, there's not any verse in the Bible that says that you and I should try harder. But there's hundreds of verses asking us, commanding us, begging, pleading us to just trust more. Wow. So, yeah. That's, that sounds simple. Very <laughs> profound, right? No, uh, we do. I mean, and I, I'm, it's funny you mentioned Chris Melson, but my buddy that I mentioned in Sunnyvale, Jeff Jacobs, him and Chris Melson are really good friends. 
Um, and that goes back to this, like what's helped me is like putting, like surrounding myself with people in my life. Um, and yeah, I have friends that are my age. I have some friends that are younger than me, but like my tight friends that I, I go to when I'm struggling or Christy and I are struggling or I'm trying to figure something out or like, how do I parent this? I don't go to people my age. I go to people that are older than me that have already been in this stage of life. That's right. What happens is we ask people like, oh, like you're, you got a three-year-old. I have a three-year-old. Like they're trying to figure it out too. Like go to somebody who has a 14-year-old that's already had a three-year-old. And so Jeff Jacobs was that guy, him and his wife, Laura, have been so good to me and Christy. Um, they, they're at a different church now because they moved. But um, for our first seven years of marriage, like we, we were in their small group and just kind of set under their leadership and their authority. And man, they have helped us um, avoid, I think, some major things that people struggle with in marriage because like they called it out in us lovingly. They said, Hey, this is going to lead to this. Like, and I knew they wanted what's best for us, but he just says, all the point is, is he always says, it's just not that dang hard. Like we make following Jesus so dang hard. And it's really not like, just, he's like, just be a big boy, get up, open up your Bible, read it, love your wife and seek him. Like, that's it. Like, just be, it's not that dang hard. And um, so I do, I think we make it really hard. Um, and it doesn't have to be. That's, that's very good. And that's a, you know, that kind of goes along with one of the questions I was going to ask. I think you've covered it well is, you know, how does a student athlete use their platform, you know, to be bold. And I think it, you know, it's to be filled up, right. You know, they can't yeah. use the platform of athletics to be bold in their faith if they're not personally filled up. Right. And it's just, I think, yeah, it's transformation. I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of guys, you know, if you play quarterback, you're going to get the microphone in your face after the game, they're going to interview you. And, and I'm all for, you know, these guys that say, you know, I just want to thank my personal savior, Jesus Christ. I'm all for that. That's, there's a mic in your face. That's great. But here's the thing is, is if your life doesn't resemble that the rest of the week, it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth on Friday night. That's right. Like it doesn't matter. And so that's where it's like, I mean, being transformed is like, this is who I, like, this is as a believer, this is who I am all the time. Are we perfect? No, we have a perfect guy. Like, are we going to screw up? Yes. Do we still struggle with our flesh? For sure. But it's this idea of my posture has changed. My, my, the way I carry myself has changed. I, you know, the way I speak changes because of what's in me and who's in me and lives inside of me. And um, so they do have a platform. Um, but I do think it's not just going to be what you say with a microphone in your face. It's going to be what you say about how you live your life in third period and on the bus and on Saturday night at that party. And like all the time, like, are we a cheap imitation or are we the real thing? You know, Ephesians five, one, you know, are you an imitator or are you a cheap imitation? Um, And there's a difference there, you know? Absolutely. And that's, you know, I talk to my, my kids all the time about that, um, about what it means to, you know, be all in in their walk. And that's, that's every moment of every day. Yeah. It's not, you know, when, uh, like you said, when they're asked a question, you know, a microphone or whatever's put in their face, it's easy. Or even, you know, I talk to my oldest a lot about social media because everybody, not everybody, most everybody, if you look at their, and not, a lot of athletes, especially uh, middle school, high school, you look at their Instagram or Twitter profile, it's God first, you know, or, faith, faith, and then football, or, you know, there's, there's all this stuff on their profile, but it's like, okay, but what, pay attention to them. Look at their life. Yeah. And 90% of them that God first is just two words on a social media profile. It has nothing to do with their actions. You know, and that's, yeah. we, we have that conversation at home a lot with, with our two boys, you know, the dangers. Of, yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, you're gonna get me. Yeah, you're gonna get me fired up on that. You know, it's because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I do because like we we you know these kids that get these offers, um, you know, and I see them, and I because I work with a lot of kids and we do camps, and I'm, I mean, I want them to go. I mean, you get your school paid for it. I mean, what a huge opportunity, what a huge blessing. But the whole like, oh, I'm humbled and blessed to receive my 75th offer. Well, first right. of all, humble people don't announce that they're humble. Right. Um, that's the exact opposite of being humbled. You know, you don't walk in and say, Hey, I'm the most humble person in the room, you know? Um, but you're not blessed because you got your fifth offer. You're blessed because Jesus Christ died for you. Like you're blessed because of that. 
right? Because if I'm only blessed because I get scholarships, and what 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 about the kid that gets zero scholarship? Does that mean like the Lord doesn't love him either? You know, and so I think our sometimes our theology is so based on like what the like what the Lord does for us, you know, and it's like that's not theology. That's like superstition and manipulation and self gratification. Um, you know, you mentioned like faith, family, football, the three F's. Like, let's be honest, what football family really does it in that order? It ain't that. Right. I mean, we can put it on the side, faith, family, football, football season starts, it goes football, 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 and then family, and then faith is like way down when it's convenient. And so, yeah, it's one thing to say it like, yeah, all glory to God. Well, are you are you gonna say all glory to God when you break your leg and you tear your ACL and you miss your senior year? Cause I mean, cause he's still the same God, right? I mean, he's not He's no less God in good seasons or bad seasons. Like he's the same God. Like he's still the same faithful father, regardless of what takes place. And so again, I think it goes back to when we talked about like the difference of being in Christ and being a Christian, like we can put whatever label we want in our social media bio. Um, the in Christ is I'm going to be known by how I live my life. That's right. Amen. That's good stuff. Hey, I know, uh, I know you got some time with your two little ones today, so um, I appreciate uh, you taking carving out a little bit of time for us and to, to share your heart. I know I've enjoyed it, and I've been, I've been encouraged as a husband and a dad um, and convicted and challenged in a couple areas as well, so I appreciate it. Yeah, you're well, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It was a blast. You bet. Well, I hope you were encouraged as I was talking to Cody and hearing his story and just so much from his his passion for – for Christ and making Christ known. Just a few things that I wrote down in my notes. It's front and back two pages, but just a couple of things that really stand out to me as I look over them. It's bad roots produce bad fruit. We need to be rooted in Christ. That Christ is our solid foundation. And we're, when we have our strong roots there, we produce good fruit. And that we oftentimes focus on modifying behavior but it's, it's God who changes the heart. We don't modify behavior. We try to lead people to a heart change that's only found through Christ and that our spiritual growth is a choice. It must be a priority for you and for me. I hope you were encouraged. Again, I would encourage you to share this with somebody. I know there's a family member or a friend that could be encouraged by Cody and his story, so I'd encourage you to share it. Also, if you're not a current subscriber to this podcast, would you... Please, whatever podcast platform you use, click the the subscribe button. There's over 100 episodes that have been released that I know will encourage you. And we have some incredible ones coming. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just type All In Sports Outreach in the search. It'll um, lead you to us or our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org. Find out who we are, why we do what we do opportunities to pray, serve, and give. Thank you for your continued support and prayers.